This is The Crime Cafe, your podcasting source of great crime, suspense, and thriller writing. I'm your host, Debbie Mack. Before I bring on my guest, I'll just remind you that The Crime Cafe has two ebooks for sale the nine book box set and the short story anthology. You can find the buy links for both on my website, debbiemack.com, under the Crime Cafe link. You can also get a free copy of either book if you become a Patreon supporter. You'll get that and much more if you support the podcast on Patreon, along with our eternal gratitude for doing so. But first, let me put in a good word for Blueberry Podcasting. I'm a Blueberry affiliate, but that's not the only reason I'm telling you this. I've been using Blueberry Podcasting as my hosting service for my podcast for years, and it's one of the best decisions I ever made. They give great customer service. You're in complete control of your own podcast. You can run it from your own website. And it just takes a lot of the work out of podcasting for me. I find for that reason that it's a company that I can get behind 100% and say, you should try this. Try Blueberry. It doesn't require a long-term contract, and it's just a great company, period. And it also has free technical support by email, video, and phone. So you can get a human being there. Isn't that nice? Hi, everyone. My guest for this episode has written for a variety of media. Along with writing for television on shows like House, Law and Order, Pretty Little Liars, CSI Miami, and Homicide, to name a few, Um, he's a playwright. He started out as a poet in grade one, (laughs) and he's a novelist, as well as a person who has produced a film. I believe it's like 83 minutes long, Mm -hmm. uh, called... uh, what was it? Drone? Right. Uh, great. Uh, yeah. Along with his series of Jacob Burns mysteries, he's published two novels that are thrillers. The first of those is The Necklace, which has been published in English as well as seven other languages and has been optioned for adaptation to film by Leonardo DiCaprio's Appian Way Production Company. Uh, his latest book is Killer Story. I've started it, and I have to tell you, once you start the book, it is really hard to to put down. It is literally almost unputdownable. I would have been here holding it in my hands if it wasn't by my reading uh, chair right now, waiting for me, and I am anxiously waiting to get back to it. Anyway, um, it is my pleasure to have today a talented multi-hyphenate, Matt Witten. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thank you, Debbie. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. It's my pleasure. Um, I just want to say, I just want to start out by saying you have the most impressive website that I've seen lately. It is so awesome. Just reading it. Go there. I would suggest everybody go there to mattwittenwriter.com. Do I have that right? You do. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. It's just, there's so much there about you, about your books. But I just thought it was really interesting reading. When I looked at your about page, I was wondering what to ask you about first, because I noticed that you became very determined about becoming a writer after a health crisis. Can you talk about what spurred that determination in you? Uh, Sure. I was 18 years old, and I got an undiagnosed illness. 
And uh, I promised myself that if I ever uh, got well again, that I would remember that writing was uh, the core of my being and I would stick to writing. And after about uh, two and a half months, I did get well again. And, uh, and I've stuck to that uh, determination or, or decision to stick to writing you know, throughout my life, I've, uh, despite the ups and downs of the writer's life, which has certainly had its downs, uh, I have, uh, I've stuck to writing throughout. I would say there was one exception when I weakened, when I was uh, in my late 30s or about 40 years old, when I uh, said, ah, oh, this is, you know, I'm, I'm not having any luck. And I applied to law school and I got in and I got a good scholarship. It cost 20,000, but I got a scholarship for 17,500 per year. And I was thinking about going, and then the week after I got um, into law school, uh, my first book was accepted for publication. And a week after that, I got the call from Law and Order to come out to Los Angeles to write for Law and Order. So oh I just my gosh. To, uh, decided to stick with the writing. So other than that uh, brief uh, flirtation with law school, I've remembered the um, the uh, decision that I made when I was eighteen that this really is you you know who I am and I should stick with it uh, no matter what. I can just hear the screams of 10,000 lawyers who don't like their jobs going, ah. <laughs> yeah, I stuck with law school, practiced law even, and ended up becoming a writer anyway. <laughs> well, you know, I do sort of, that's wonderful. I, I do sort of have a theory that, you know, sometimes the decisions we think are, are really important aren't that important. Like it's conceivable that I would actually, to be honest, have been equally happy perhaps if I if I had gone to law school and become a lawyer and, and done some kind of uh, law that interested me. So so even though I say this and I, I did stick with what was at the core of my being, who knows? I mean, who knows really? Life is a mystery. I know when, when we moved from at the time that I uh, that I'm speaking of that that crossroads of my life, we were living in Saratoga Springs, New York, a small town in New York, and uh, I could have kept writing the novels, which is where my novels were set there. I could have kept doing that, but I felt like, oh, this is a chance to go to L.A. and write for TV, the big leagues, and, and you know, I, I I mean, we've had a good life, lives, uh, my family and I, um, but you know, honestly, I think I probably looking back on it. I probably would have been equally happy if I, Law and Order had never come up, TV had never come up, and I'd just been in Saratoga writing novels. Even that would have been a good a good path. Um, anyway, that's my theory as I get older, that, that uh, you know, the things we think are truly important in our lives maybe are not so key as we think. I think there's something to that. Really, I do. There's a lot to be said for simply being content with what you have. Not Not that you can't excel and do better at it, but just understanding what it is, who you are, what you like, and what you want to do, regardless of what the word world tells you you're supposed to do, kind of, you know? Yes, yes. And whatever you need to work out in your personality, uh, your, your, your character, um, you're going to work out, you know, one way or another, you know, no matter what you do. I mean, it's, a, it's an exaggeration, of course. I mean, if you're facing tremendous poverty, that's a whole other kind of a thing. But, uh, you know, to some extent, uh, yeah, life just goes how it goes. Precisely. Yeah. Um, let's see. You also have written plays. Was that how you started with playwriting? I did start as a playwright. I had a uh, crush on my 10th grade drama teacher. And so I wrote a play in 10th grade. It got done at the local Methodist church at the uh, women's group. 
got paid $10 and I got hooked. And uh, yeah, for sure. I wrote plays until I was about in my mid thirties. That's my first thing. And some of those plays have been published so they can be read. Yep. Yep. They've been published by Samuel French and Dramatist Play Service. And I haven't written a play for a long time. I think for about uh, 20, 25 years, but they still get produced sometimes. Uh, uh, one of them got produced uh, a few months ago at a um, at a prep school in Massachusetts, which I enjoyed a great deal. And another one got produced in Japan last year. So it's fun to see these plays uh, uh, living on, uh, for sure. That's fantastic. It's wonderful. Um, your first uh, fiction were the Jacob Burns Mysteries, correct? Right. Mm -hmm. Are you uh, still working on those novels? Are you continuing the series? Uh, the short answer is no. I, I wrote four of them back in the late uh, 1990s and early 2000s. And then that's about when I got the call to come work for television. So I wrote one or two of them my first uh, uh, one or two years of TV. But then, um, you know, I got too busy writing TV and I couldn't write those anymore. So I will say that now, 20 years later, I have thought I have gotten the itch to, to write another one. I thought it would be funny. Uh, the Jacob Burns novels are about a guy uh, uh, who's like me and at that time, an aspiring writer um, living in Saratoga, you know, without that much money, which was me at the time. And I thought it would be fun to like, you know, take that same character 25 years down the line after he's been writing for television for 20 years as I have, and is getting back into novel writing like I am. And just to take that same character and pick him up, you know, 25 years later, I just thought that would be kind of a hilarious thing to do. So I do actually have a I actually do have two plots in mind, and I'm planning to uh, ask my agent uh, how he would feel about my uh, writing books that are cozy-ish again after writing these thrillers. I don't want to confuse my readers too much. I mean, it, it, you know, I've got these thrillers, and that's kind of my brand right now, so I'm a little hesitant. But I, anyway, I, I am, I am feeling a little bit of an itch, so I may talk to my agent about that. Yeah. Well, you have to kind of follow your gut a little bit on these things, I think. Yes. Right, what what suits you at that time and hope that your your readers enjoy your style enough to kind of follow along, I think. I completely agree with you. I completely agree. That's how I've always looked at it. That's what I tell aspiring writers. You know, write what you love. Don't try to follow trends. Don't try to do something. So for me, it's a little bit of a new thing to think of really you know, getting an agent's advice and so on at, at the beginning part of the stage. But I might, I might try the new thing. Uh, I might try it. I might, um, I might, you know, I would only write something that I love, but I also might try to find out from the beginning if it, if it seems to make a, a commercial sense uh, to my agent. So if I can combine the two, uh, then I'll do that. That's an excellent approach. Yeah. Definitely run it by somebody else who has kind of like their finger on the pulse. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see when people think of thrillers they so often think of end of the world stakes on a global scale but yours seem to be very personal end of the world stakes in your uh, thrillers can you talk about how you picked your protagonists say for killer's story and why you chose to write about a podcaster sure uh, i think that yeah, there's all kinds of ways you can write thrillers. And as a reader, I tend to enjoy the psychological thrillers or the domestic thrillers. And I tend to not really like spy thrillers that much. I tend to find them, you know, for me, not that believable. 
Um, and yeah, some of the big international political thrillers are huge things I just don't like as much. Um, so really what I'm writing is the kind of book I like to read. And so that's, uh, so that's why I write what I do. In terms of specifically a uh, killer story, um, there were a lot of things motivating me to write it. Uh, one of them is the protagonist is a journalist. And I'm just fascinated, she's 28 years old, and I'm fascinated by journalists, by young people that get into the field of journalism today, which is in some ways such a crazy field to get into because you know jobs are disappearing, newspapers are dying, journalists are making less money. But they have, these young people have so much idealism and, and, and desire to tell the stories in a way that journalism tells these stories best. So they go for it and they do that. And I admire that in the same way that I admire my own foolishness in becoming a playwright in my 20s when it was sort of a crazy thing to do. But um, so I wanted to write a book uh, uh, about, about these folks and about um, the obstacles that they face, both the moral and the financial obstacles that they face as they're trying to you know, start a new career as uh, journalists and as, as podcasters in the case of this novel, a podcaster. And I was interested in podcasts, partly because I listen to true crime podcasts all the time. I love them. And I'm interested in, you know, imagine if you were doing a podcast and you wanted to get a lot of viewers, you wanted to be successful, make a lot of money. You might feel a little bit of a temptation to, um, you know, maybe futz with the truth just a little bit if it got you more viewers. And if maybe somebody got a little bit hurt along the way uh, because, uh, it, you know, they were unfairly viewed as a suspect uh, or other kinds of things that might come up in a podcast, you might just be willing to be a little bit morally questionable in order to get more clicks. So that's what I was interested in, an idealistic young person who faces some things that, that kind of challenge them uh, morally and, and financially. Um, and then briefly, I'll also say uh, the main character in the novel is someone that has been laid off through no fault of her own uh, three times and is about to be laid off a fourth time. Uh, I can say that without being a spoiler because it occurs early in the book. And uh, and I relate to that. Anybody that's worked for TV gets uh, laid off at least once. Uh, and in my case, I uh, have been laid off three times. And sometimes it happens because your show just gets canceled. But sometimes it happens because you're really not uh, clicking with the head writer. You know, they they uh, your visions of the of the show just don't match. And so you don't get picked up for the next season. And that can be very, or was for me, and I think for everybody, very emotionally stressful. So um, so I also, that's another reason I wrote it, just to work out some of my own emotions uh, by writing about it with this character and what she's going through. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a tough business all around. Mm -hmm. It's true in uh, TV writing, it's true in publishing. Mm -hmm. People with contracts get dropped. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, the contract ran out, Sorry, we, we aren't re-upping you. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big blow. It's an ego blow. It's tough, it's hard yeah. To it, hard to view it in a positive way, even if some even if ultimately it might be a positive in some way. It's hard to view it that way. It is, yeah. But so often these um, setbacks will be learning experiences or opportunities for something else, as you know, you suggested. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, what is your movie Drones about? Drones is about the uh, guys, the U.S. Army guys and, and women 
that um, that will hang out in a in a trailer in Nevada, and they'll push a button and they'll kill somebody eight thousand miles away, and uh, it's an incredibly stressful job. I mean, you go out there, you you possibly kill somebody, maybe you do kill somebody, and then you go out and have pizza, and you're just very emotionally or fit not you're physically removed from the from the havoc that you're wreaking and that may seem like it might make it easier like you might think like it's easier to just push a button far away from from it than if then if you're an actual pilot who's flying above a scene and then you bomb you know the uh bomb the scene but it's actually um it's actually more psychologically difficult uh, according to studies by the department of defense to be a drone airplane operator than a, a manned airplane uh, pilot, because um, that disconnect is so confusing for people. And there's also other elements to being a drone uh, operator of an airplane that are very uh, difficult. So for instance, uh, in my movie and in reality, if you you know kill somebody, if you drop a bomb, you know push a button and kill somebody 8,000 feet away, part of your job is to look over the battlefield afterwards and to see who's dead and you know get it in as close as you can on the body parts that are strewn around and figure out okay that's from a man you know that's from a woman that looks like the you know the leg of a young child um you have to you know see who you've killed whereas if you're if you're flying a plane you drop the bomb boom you're gone you never see the people that you've killed you never see the bodies um as a drone operator um, there's a very good chance that that you will, uh, you, you know, obviously if it's if there's too much burning and smoke and stuff, you won't. So uh, it's just an incredible, incredibly stressful job, and it's a very interesting idea, uh, drones, in the sense that you know we try to fight these wars where we're never, none of us are ever going to die. So we have these wars that we have going on in. Um, you know, I haven't done the research lately, but when I was doing the research, when I when I wrote the movie, we had about eight different countries where we were killing people. Um, Sudan, uh, Pakistan, uh, all these different countries where no Americans ever got killed. And the thing about that is it makes it easier to declare war. It makes it easier to kill others as if there's no chance you're going to get killed. So we have these wars without consequences. And it's it's very it's very strange. And the latest wrinkle is that AI is getting involved in, in running these drones. So it, it may become more bizarre. AI will be flying the airplanes. There won't even be that pilot who's who's doing it in, 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 in Nevada. It will be even more removed from the from the killings that we do. And right now they're saying that AI will never make the decision to pu push the button. But, but you know, mm -hmm. we'll see if that stays the case. Yeah, boy, that's a whole topic there to talk about AI. Jeez, um, that's frightening. What you just said—that is chilling. Um, it reminds me of a Star Trek episode, but uh, we won't go into that. <laughs> if you know Star Trek, you know what I'm talking about. Um, what advice would you give to anyone interested in having a writing career? Well, I give three pieces of advice. One is to write. And the second is to read in the genre that you're writing in. So if you're writing thrillers, read a lot of thrillers. If you're writing uh, TV dramas, watch a lot of TV dramas. 
whatever it is, just watch, watch, read a lot or watch a lot and really try to think as deeply as you can about what you're reading and watching. Um, and the third thing I would say is to uh, try to form a, a community of some kind. So uh, for instance, for myself, I have a writer's group that meets uh, many Fridays and another group that meets uh, once a month. And uh, that gives me a sense of community. The idea being that writing can be a very, especially writing novels, not so much writing TV, but writing novels can be a very lonely business. So it's really important uh, for me uh, not, to, not to be lonely. Uh, another form of community that, that, I, that I have is that I like to do a lot of my writing in coffee shops. So every morning I'll get up, ride my bike to a coffee shop in Santa Monica, and there's a bunch of other writers who, about five other writers that, that come there every morning or most mornings. And so I see them and we have a, a community. You know, we write, but we also chat, you know, before and after. Uh, my wife calls it uh, Cheers for Writers. And um, we, uh, and, you know, so it's great. Uh, another form of community that, uh, that people often have is, uh, you know, taking a class, taking an online class or an in-person class, and they get to know each other. And often, you know, they keep knowing each other after the class and, and may even form writing groups afterwards. Um, and you can find the classes anywhere. UCLA Extension, where I've taught for 20 years is good, but there's a million other places. Um, so whatever, you know, whatever it is, if you're in a small town, you know, just call up the two or three writers you know in that small town and see if you can get together for coffee. And it's good to have people uh, reading your work and 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 letting you know what's what works and what doesn't and also you know just just sharing and just being together and sharing that experience so those are my three pieces of advice uh read write and your excuse me write read in your genre and uh and uh, form a community uh, try not to be lonely those are great pieces of advice excellent and i will also have to ask you in your uh, on your website, it says, I never really intended to become a TV writer, but somehow or other, I got hired to write a freelance episode for Homicide, and this led to other things. Okay, that sounds just a bit glib. Uh, yeah. Somehow or other, you got an episode of Homicide written freelance. Was, did you submit to them? I guess for all of the, the aspiring screenwriters out there, I would like to ask, what's your best tip for getting uh, into the business of screenwriting? Well, the best business, the tip that I would have would be to, um, I'm better at giving tips for getting into TV writing than into movie writing. So my tip for getting into TV writing is to, uh, Write a pilot uh, for uh, for for a series that you think of, and um, yeah, just do that. Write a pilot, and then after you write that pilot, uh, write another one, and then when you have one that you think is good enough, then you submit uh, that to an agent any way you can think of. You know, any kind of personal contact you can you can drum up. Uh, or a manager, by the way, an agent or a manager, any kind of personal contact you can drum up. Um, look for reputable contests to enter. Uh, that can be a good way of of uh, connecting with with agents and and managers if you win the contest or if you're you're a um, honorary mention. Uh, uh, I would also say another good way is. Uh, if you're prepared to move to LA to uh, attempt to get a, get a job as a 
writing assistant or a production assistant on a show, uh, you'll meet lots of people. You'll be in the in the mix, and uh, it's it's uh, it's a very helpful way. A lot of people get into it through that. Um, so those are those are my you know biggest pieces of advice. You're you're going to want to have you know definitely one good writing sample that should be either a pilot. Well, it should be a TV pilot. And then you're going to want to have a second writing sample that is either another TV pilot or else an episode of an existing show of TV that you've written just a sample episode or uh, or a novel or a play or a movie or short story, a second piece of, of uh, a piece of writing. Um, I forgot to say one thing, which is some people uh, will also... Uh, shoot uh, shorts, short movies, and they'll use that as a writing sample. And that can also be a, a good way to uh, get into the business. Um, so that's, yeah, those that's the main pieces of advice I would give. Well, those are all awesome. Great pieces of advice. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, is there anything else you'd like to add before we finish up? Uh, yeah, buy my book, Sacred Journey. <laughs> called it Sacred <laughs> Journey. That's funny. I had a sudden brain, brain, uh, whatever, into a play I wrote 30 years ago. I called it Sacred Journey. The name of this book is Killer Story. So anyway, buy my book, Killer Story. And it is a killer story. Let me tell you, talk yeah. about truth and advertising. <laughs> <laughs> I started this thing. I could not put it down. I had it in my hands at the uh, conference I went to this weekend. It was just astonishing. I, I really could not put it down. So okay. um, well done. Uh, and thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Nice talking with you. Same here. Thank you. Um, yes, on that note, I will just say, uh, I want to give a brief shout out of th congratulations to the organizers of that conference. It's the Creatures, Crimes, and Creativity Conference. It takes place every year. This was their 10th anniversary and they celebrated big time. It's organized by Austin and Denise Camacho who are absolutely amazing people. And it is an absolutely awesome conference. I would recommend it to anybody who is interested in becoming a writer or in promoting your work as a writer, whatever. Um, I was on a podcasting panel with some wonderful people, Bo Lake, John Dadakis, Jenna Hart and Maddie Dalrymple, who was our moderator, who also interviewed me before the conference, which was very sweet and wonderful. And um, also, I would like to say that I have a Patreon page, and I am currently running a special offer on Patreon. So please check out my Patreon page to check out the special offer, where I will offer a shout out on your in your name uh, of your favorite book. I want to hear what it is you're reading and you're enjoying. So uh, do check that out. And on that note, I'll just wrap up by saying our next guest will be Brian LeBeau. And until then, take care and happy reading.